I'm going to read the whole of Luke chapter 15. So if you want to read along with me, I'd love that. You can turn to it in your Bibles or the words will appear on the screen. They're going to be very familiar for us. So it's good to dive into them together. Starting with the parable of the lost sheep. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way there will be rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The parable of the lost coin. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Doesn't she light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, of, in the presence of the angels of God when one sinner repents. The parable of the lost coin. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, Give me my share of the estate. So he divided the property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. To his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against Heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and he went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms and around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. He called one of the servants and asked him, what was going on? Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he is home, safe and sound. 
The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, look, all these years I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes come home, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My, fa- my son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let me pray for Luke as he comes to share the word with us. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the challenge it is to us. And we pray for Luke now as he comes and shares. Lord, would our hearts be teachable? Would our minds be stilled? Would our homes be quiet? (laughs) And Lord, would we hear what it is you are saying to us this morning? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Zoe. Well, good morning, church. It's good to be with you this morning. Good morning to all of those who are tuning in at home as well. Apologies, it doesn't look like our YouTube stream is working today. So hopefully you found your way over to Facebook. If not, if you're watching on Facebook, if you could do me a favor and share this stream, we would love to have as many people join us for this message this morning. Of course, if you are watching at home, the best way to enjoy church is together. So I want to encourage you next week, sign up to come here to the building. Let's do it. Let's come back together as much as we safely and possibly can at the moment. The Bible tells us not to forsake meeting together with one another. Let's get back into those good habits where we are safe to do so. Obviously, if medically it's not wise for you to come at the moment, continue to tune in at home. We will, of course, do our best to keep giving the option to do that going forward. But we want to see our family back together after a long, long time apart. And this is the best way to do it. We're going to come round to the Word of God now, looking at that passage that Zoe has read out for us today. I'm going to pray again because I really believe God has something important to say to us this morning. So let's just open our hearts to what God wants to talk to us about today. Father God, will you give us ears to hear this morning? Lord, may we know you in our midst, speaking gently and encouraging us and uh, spurring us on to live as you call us to live. Lord, may we hear your voice above everything today. In Jesus' name, amen. As human beings, something that I believe that we struggle with most in life is often celebrating the success of others. We see it all the time in children in particular, don't we? I've got two boys who are relatively close in age, close enough in age to want to do the same sort of things together over a kind of weekly and daily basis. And one of the things they'll often do during the school holidays is they'll go off to some of these football camps that Plymouth Argyle put on uh, for youngsters. And it's not uncommon for one of my boys on these days to come back at the end of the day with a trophy or a medal. It can be either boy. uh, And they'll come back with a trophy or a medal. And sometimes one of them will come back with something because of the achievements that they have done that day. And the other one won't come back with anything. Now, the one who doesn't come back with anything when he goes to these kind of camps knows that he should be pleased for his brother and pleased that he's he's managed to do something which has warranted a medal or a trophy. But it's really, really hard for you to do that when you see your brother uh, successful and you're not. And you know, 
What's true for kids is often true for adults as well, isn't it? Our natural state is to look after number one first. Our natural state is to try to elevate ourselves. And so often we can struggle when we see the success of others. We constantly compare ourselves and we look down at others. And Jesus found himself on the receiving end of this kind of treatment time and time again. And the thing that Jesus was accused of most in his earthly ministry was about the very questionable company that he kept. He was often looked down scornfully because he hung out with tax collectors and sinners and people who you wouldn't normally go near if you were any kind of self-respecting member of society. And here at the beginning of the passage that we have just heard read to us today, we once again see Jesus lambasted for the company that he keeps. Interestingly, in all of the Gospels, there are six occasions where Jesus is questioned and the validity of who Jesus is, whether he is the son of God or not, is questioned because of the company he kept. I wonder... When was the last time someone questioned the validity of your faith based upon the people that you hang out with? Our problem is that so often we sanitize our faith so much that we only ever really hang out with people who are a little bit like us. And we see it, don't we, in the way that we conduct church so often. That's why when change happens within church, when a group is started or a group is stopped or a group is suggested that there's going to be some change in the middle of it, and it might mean that we don't get to hang out with the people that we really want to hang out with so much, suddenly we get all funny about it, and we can struggle because we're hanging out with different people who are not like us. If you're anything like me, the chances are that what happened to Jesus here hasn't really happened to you all that often. The fact that he was lambasted for the company he kept, maybe, if at all. But this happens to Jesus, according to the Gospels, six times across a three-year ministry period. And when we're talking about a three-year ministry period, we don't actually see the whole picture. When we're talking about a three-year ministry period, we just see snapshots of what is going on in Jesus' life. In fact, in Scripture in total, there are only 52 days of Jesus' ministry which are actually recorded in the Gospels. So the fact that Jesus is questioned six times out of 52 occasions for the company he kept, suggests that this was a really frequent occurrence for Jesus, that people were constantly looking at him and saying, I can't believe he's hanging out with him, or I can't believe he's hanging out with her. You see, Jesus didn't come for the healthy, but he came for the sick. People looked at the ministry of Jesus and they became angry. It made them jealous. It made them compare And what I want to see from our passage today is these stories that Jesus tells are a direct response to these feelings that have been conjured up in the lives of the Pharisees. And Jesus uses three parables here to contrast the heart of a Pharisee and the heart of heaven. One of the things that a lot of these passages that we've looked at together over the past few weeks have done is that they've caused us to look inwards, haven't they? They've caused us to examine ourselves, to examine our hearts, to examine our motives. And I know for some people, that's not necessarily been a very comfortable experience. And I want to say today that that's okay. Part of the amazing thing 
about this God who we're singing about, this God who we worship, is that he will accept us as we are when we come to him with all of our faults, with all of our failures, with all of our flaws. But he won't leave us as we are. He'll begin a good work in us. He'll begin to knock off those rough edges. He'll begin to deal with some of the deepest and darkest hang-ups in our life. He'll begin to make us more like Jesus. It's a process that the Bible calls sanctification. And at times, that feels uncomfortable. But know that in the midst of the questions, in the midst of the feelings, in the midst of the emotions that it might raise in our life, that God is working on your life to make you more like his son. And as we look a little bit deeper into this chapter together today, I want us to ask the question, each and every one of us, do I have the attitude of a Pharisee or the heart of heaven? So as we begin this passage together today, what we see right at the beginning is the Pharisees, they're grumbling. They're grumbling because these tax collectors and these sinners and all of these other kind of immoral people are coming to Christ and they're being drawn to him in this moment. And once again, their comments portray something of the attitude of their heart. They're prideful. They think that because in their minds, at least, they go above and beyond what the law requires, that they're somewhat a better class of human being than everyone else, particularly sinners like this. And in a direct response to their grumbling, Jesus speaks into their situation with three parables. Remember that a parable is a story which contains a spiritual reality. And in these parables, in each one of these parables, Jesus conveys heaven's heart towards the lost, and he challenges our hearts in the process. And in this instance, Jesus tells three stories which essentially contain the same message in each one. You know, it's easy, isn't it? The longer we walk this journey of faith together to become so dogmatic, so set in our ways, so no longer teachable, it's easy to get into a habit and an attitude of thinking it's our way or the highway. And that's what happened in the life of the Pharisees. And these parables, they're told to highlight that actually these people have come so far away from heaven's thinking on the matter. And to highlight this, what we see in these three parables that we've heard read to us this morning are essentially the same pattern played out in each and every one. There's a dilemma, there's a solution, and then there is a response. And in setting out these stories in this particular way, Jesus highlights the value of the lost when it comes to God. We see the dilemma of a lost sheep. A shepherd who has a hundred sheep loses one. The second parable, it conveys a similar tone. A woman has lost a coin. To most people, this coin wouldn't have been that valuable. It's probably about a day's wages, but this was incredibly valuable to her. And then the final parable is the most detailed parable of the three. A son who has a wealthy father says to his dad, Dad, I want nothing more to do with you. I'm not prepared to wait any longer for my inheritance. You are dead to me. Give me what is mine and I'll go off and I'll live my life the way that I want to live it. And heartbroken, the father does what the son desires. And the son, he goes off into the sunset and he begins to squander his wealth on wild and extreme living. And in portraying these pictures, Jesus is highlighting once again the state of the tax collectors and the sinners. 
before God that these Pharisees are so bothered about. And he says they're lost. They're lost. They're absolutely lost. They're like sheep that have gone astray and they can't find their way back. They're like a coin that has been lost, an inanimate object which has no ability to do anything about its situation. They're like a prodigal son who has chosen to wander off and make bad decision after bad decision to the point where he lets it all slip through his fingers. And to top it all off, he finds himself in the midst of a famine and he's forced to do a job that no self-respecting Jew would ever do, feeding pigs. And so hungry, he looks down at this swill that he's feeding the pigs, and suddenly he finds himself desiring what the pigs are eating. And here's the thing. You know, we all fall into the same boat. It's not those who are outwardly sinful who are lost, not just those anyway. Each and every one of us without Jesus, is in a helpless state before a holy God. And what Jesus does here today in this passage is that he presents a solution. For the lost sheep, the shepherd goes off in search of it. We're not told what the shepherd did with the other 99 sheep on this particular occasion. He could have left them with a neighbor on a hillside to look after them. But often parables are meant to be intentionally surprising. And in that case... The one sheep was so important to the shepherd that he was willing to leave the 99 sheep on the hillside to go off and find the one. The woman who had lost her coin, despite it not being very valuable to many people, searches her entire house. And this isn't what my wife would call a man search, where she goes and looks in a room and goes, nope, it's not there. It's not there. It's not there. I've lost it. She sweeps the house. She lights a lamp. She searches every corner of the house until she finds it. The father runs to his son. Whilst the son is still a long way off, he runs to meet him. Whilst the son is still walking and formulating his I'm sorry speech in his head, the father goes as hard as he can to meet him. Where I want to focus our remaining time looking at this passage today is the response that we see in these situations. You see, in Jesus mixing with these tax collectors and sinners, these three parables are effectively being played out in front of their very eyes. The lost are being found by their owner. The shepherd is retrieving the lost sheep. The coin, which may not seem valuable to so many, is so valuable to its owner and it's been located. The ones who were dead because of the bad choices that they made have been made alive again. And the attitude of heaven is an attitude of celebration. Verse 5 says this, And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Verse 9 says, when she finds it, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me. I found my lost coin. In the same way, I tell you, there is much rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. I have a one sinner who repents. Verse 22 says, but the father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he is found. So they began to celebrate. You see here that Jesus moves from something which is 
less to something which is greater. He starts off talking about sheep. He then talks about a coin. He then talks about a lost son. And he says, as there was so much rejoicing in each one of these situations, because the things which were lost were so precious to them, there is much rejoicing in heaven when a sinner turns to Christ. Friends, let me tell you today, if you are here in the room or you're watching this via our live stream today, if you fall into the category of the lost this morning, Jesus is looking for you. He wants to know you. He wants to meet you. He wants to rescue you. And he wants to bring you into his family. And in turning to him, all of heaven parties. My question to you today is, what are you waiting for? But the attitude of heaven is not the only attitude that we see played out in this particular passage today. You see, there's another attitude, the attitude of the Pharisee. Even in grumbling about the situation, the Pharisees are effectively saying, I wish that sheep had stayed lost. I wish that coin had never been found. The son deserves to be treated like an outsider because of what he did to his father. He only deserves to be a servant in his house. And Jesus tackles this attitude directly in the third parable. After the father had run to meet the son, and he'd ordered this fattened calf to be killed and a party to be thrown, we're introduced to another character, the older brother. Verse 29 says this, But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me a goat so I could go and celebrate with my friends. This older brother had been with his father, and effectively, at this point, what is highlighted is that the relationship between the older brother and the father had become distorted. It was actually completely dysfunctional. And what we see in this passage is there are some clues to what has gone wrong in their relationship. He says, for years, I have served you. Notice that when the older brother here is talking to his father, he's using language of a slave and a master. You wonder what must be going through the father's head at this point. Son, why are you talking to me like this? I'm your father. He says to his father, I've never disobeyed one of your orders. It's almost as if he turns to his dad, isn't it, and says, you're just a command giver to me. I've done what you've asked me to do. Now, where is my reward? What we see in this story of the older brother, really is a gentle rebuke to the religious and the Pharisees, where Jesus is pointing out that actually their relationship with God has become out of kilter. They might not have even realized it or recognized it, but it has. And notice what it does. Coming back to the parable, verse 30 says this, but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill a fattened calf for him. When our relationship with God becomes out of kilter, we begin to play a blame game. Notice the brother, the older brother, doesn't say, my brother has come home. He says, but when this son of yours squandered all his money, he comes home. It's reminiscent, isn't it, of the tone which Adam uses in Genesis where he says, this woman that you gave me told me to eat of the fruit. It's not my fault. 
When our relationship with God becomes about work and it becomes about merit, we become blamers. And a life of blame robs us of the joy of so many things. We start to blame a whole number of things on the situation that we find ourselves in. It's not my fault my faith is not right. It's the church. It's other people. It's the pastor. We look down at our nose at other people who don't live life in the way that we expect that they should live. And let me tell you, when we find ourselves in this place, it begins to absolutely ruin things. So let me challenge you today. Where is your heart at at the moment? Are you longing to see the lost saved? Are you rejoicing when you see people grow closer to Christ? Are you striving to grow closer to Christ yourself? Or if you're honest right now, is there a little bit of bitterness in your life? Do you find yourself looking scornfully at others and thinking, I can't believe they live their life in that way? Or maybe you even talk about other people and about how they're going about their business and about what they're doing. If you are, perhaps that is a sign today that your relationship with God has become slightly out of kilter and your relationship with God is not as it should be. If that is the case, let me encourage you, let me implore you today, don't play the blame game. Don't blame other people. Don't blame the situation. Don't blame this and that or whatever. Because today you can know the deep mercy of a loving father drawing you back closely to him. What does the father do for the older brother? He doesn't pull him aside and say, you ungrateful little swine. How dare you question my methods? How dare you come and speak to me like this? Who do you think that you are? Which, let's face it, he probably would have been totally within his rights to do at this time. But no. The father treats the older brother just as he treated the younger brother. And he comes to him. Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So the father went out. Do you see that? While the prodigal was far off, while he was still coming back from a far off country, the, the father, he stood on his porch and he's looking out and he's looking into the distance and then he sees a dot in the distance and when he sees it, he thinks to himself, that can't be my son. But then he gets a little bit closer and he starts to see his facial features and when he realizes it's his son, he runs to him. He runs to him with all of his might and he puts his arms around him and that's exactly what he does to the older brother too. He goes goes out to the older brother. If your heart is hard today and your relationship with God feels like it's become out of kilter at the moment, know that God wants to come and meet you today. And not only does the father go out to meet the son, he also speaks tenderly to the son too. Verse 31, he replies simply with the words, my son. These are tender words spoken to an angry son in the hope and the expectation of drawing him back in. He goes on to say, you were always with me. You were always there and all that I had was yours. The problem is the older brother didn't really care about that. The younger brother, he had been outside and he found out for himself that the only place of true joy was at his father's sight. And yet for the older brother, that wasn't the case. Verse 
29 tells us, all these years I've worked for you, and you've never even given me a goat that I might go and party with my friends. He wanted all the benefits of the father's house without the relationship with the father. And the danger of a heart which has become out of kilter with God and our relationship with him is that we can fall into the same trap. We can be around church for so long and be involved in so many different aspects of church life that we really end up living for the praise of others. And when a horrid season like the season that we've been in comes along, we become disillusioned. If that's you today, I believe that the Father is speaking tenderly words over you again. You were always with me. All that I have is yours. See what I am blessing you with right now and get right with me again. The overarching message of this passage today challenges our very attitude. Do we have the heart of heaven or do we have the heart of a Pharisee? And one of the ways that you can tell where your heart is, is your attitude towards sinners. Are you moved and stirred to see the lost saved? Does your heart overflow with joy when you hear stories of salvation and people coming to know him? Or if you're honest, are you ambivalent towards it? Even annoyed, disgruntled, bitter? The bottom line is this. Whether you are in Christ, in sin, or steeped, in religion today know this the father comes to meet you if you open your heart to him he'll put a cloak on your back a ring on your finger and there is much rejoicing in heaven because you are in relationship with him where are you at today i'm going to invite the band to come back up And if you're in the room, I'm going to invite you to stand. You know, one of my problems, I think, is I'm not very good at admitting when I'm struggling. I'm not very good at admitting when actually things are tough. I like to put on a brave face. I like to press on and press forwards. And you know what? I don't think I'm the only one that does that. And when it comes to our Christian faith, when it comes to our journey with God, so often it can be even harder. So often we do want to put on our Sunday best. We don't want to admit that we're not the perfect Christian that we try to portray that we are. And all that really does is it drives a bigger wedge between us and God. Because in our weakness, God's power is made perfect. Because we stop striving for those things which aren't important. We stop striving for the praise of others. And then we allow God to come and do a work in our heart. So today, whether you're watching this on live stream or you're in the room, Let's use this worship time now as the band lead us to really search our hearts once again and be honest with God. And if today 
Do you find yourself in a place like the older brother? Allow God to come and meet you again and speak those tender words over you and draw you back in. Father God, Lord, we recognize today that so often we can be like the Pharisees, that we've sanitized our faith so much that we hang around in our nice middle-class bubbles, whilst there is a world outside our doors who are lost and who are heading towards a lost eternity. Lord, help us to be more like Jesus. Lord, may people question the validity of our faith because of the company that we keep. Lord, may people look at us and wonder why on earth we're hanging around with the people that we're hanging around with. We thank you, Lord God, that you came for the lost, you came for the broken, you came for the hurting. Lord, today, may we hear your word spoke tenderly over that we might follow your example and go out. Have your way, King Jesus, today. Your holy name. Amen.